Welcome to Rogue Bogues Car Chat Episode 2. Justin Ellis on board. Thanks for all the support, real quick. Um, our numbers have been very, very good for a first episode. Episode one is available and ready to listen to. It's a good one, so give it a crack and let's get rolling. How's things, Justin? Yeah, good, mate. Um, into lockdown again down here, so um, yeah, what better way to spend it than do another podcast? So, um, especially Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day, folks. <laughs> yeah, you'll have to you have to play with your cars, your Beyonce models that you've got stocked there at the house. You can't, you can't drive them. Oh, exactly right. So, um, yeah, might as well just yeah add on layers and layers of wax. So, yeah, no, nothing else to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was actually interesting. Um, I put a um, post up in the HSV and HTT group the other day. I said, I'm oh, entering lockdown down here again. So, ha- how much COVID tax have we got to add on to the price of the cars if, if we plan to sell any? So <laughs> Makes sense, right? But not only that, you got the government printing money. So, it might make sense that everything's going to go up. A loaf of bread in five years might be 20 bucks the way things are going. So, Oh, exactly right. So, yeah, definitely some um, some concerning times ahead. So, yeah. Anyway, let's get to the fun stuff. Let's get to the – we'll follow up on our auction pod last week. We, we discussed all the up, upcoming auctions and you, you've got some numbers for us from those auctions. So, break it down for us what happened and then we'll go through kind of what was surprising and what wasn't. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, well, I guess, I mean, the main surprise for me was the last uh, Holden Commodore, so the last ever – to roll down the production line was a red uh, SSV redline in manual. Uh, hit seven hundred and fifty thousand, so I was, wasn't expecting that. So I kind of thought, yeah, maybe five six hundred grand, but um, yeah, that was some yeah, definitely some large numbers there. Guess the main highlight of the auction uh, was build number two, light my fire HSV W one Malu. Um, so we did talk about that in length in the last episode. Yeah, so that hit the amount of a million and fifty thousand. Yeah, so it was bought by LMCT Plus. Interesting one, that one. Um, yeah, there were um, some bidders and things hovering around, but LMCT Plus did make it clear that they're going to keep going, and yeah, they'll keep um, yeah going and going and going and until uh, they have to to secure that car. So, um, but interesting thing, in since they bought that car, they've already put three hundred k's extra on the clock, so it's um, sitting up around well, quite close to a thousand kilometers now. So they're out there and enjoying it and. Putting around, getting some heaps of media attention before um, you can buy a ticket and try and win it. Yeah, so LMCT, break down what they do. Yeah, so LMCT, so um, yeah, they, they do car raffles, so similar to what iCandy and that have been doing before. So um, yeah, they've had some really good cars. They just secured a um, yeah, Nismo GTR and they've had Ferraris and C63s and uh, I think a few of you might have seen the video of a guy um, at a wedding in Sydney trying to do a burnout in the C63S coupe. Yeah, had traction control or something on and, yeah, basically launched the motor, caught fire. Uh, that He he actually won that car through LMCT Plus, so that got him a fair bit of publicity around that. So um, that, that was quite amusing when that happened. Uh, well, not not for the guy who owned it, but um, for all of us viewers who saw that uh wide through all the socials and and a few news channels. Yeah, not what you want to do, right? <laughs> Definitely not. Other cars, the uh, BAFPV Tornado. So uh, for those out there, so 
The Typhoon is the sedan of the F6 range um, in those, and they they called the utility the Tornado. So in the FG range, they just called them straight out F6s. This is a BA FPV Tornado uh, that sold for 36.5, which I thought was a very, very solid number. So we are starting to see those FPVs increase in value, like we, like we discussed in the last episode. Um, so I thought that that was a uh, solid result. Uh, and in the two um, in the two cars that uh, Bogues and I were talking about last episode, which were kind of our, our picks of the auction, was uh, the first one, HSV 10th Anniversary Senator. Um, so these ones, again, to refresh memories, only 10 of them made and all HRT optimized. So when I say HRT optimized, that means they were balanced and blueprinted by Holden Racing Team. So that's HRT. And that took the kilowatts from 220 kilowatts to 230. So once again, 10 made all in one unique color called it Jaffa. Uh, and this car pulled 73,000. So I thought at the time, probably high 50s to low 60s, this, this car might make. So 73,000 was a great result. And the other unique pick in that auction for us was the Panorama Silver W427, build number 197. So, um, so for those there, so Panorama Silver is the original Walkinshaw color. Uh, that Tom Walkinshaw at the time selected for the Walkinshaw. And in the production run of these cars are only two in Panorama Silver. So this was a $10,000 option that you could select when you ordered a W427 to have Walkinshaw paint at Panorama and only two actually selected this option. So this car was very unique and signed by Tom Walkinshaw on the boot. This car made $300,000. So um, that was a yeah, that was a um, good number, and for the people out there who own W427, so it's a good spike up in the price and to get a bit of attention back on those cars. And let's not forget they have, obviously, the auction tax on them, so a bit of a, a commission. So those cars yeah. are obviously, you know, anywhere between 5 to 10% higher. So if those people would then go to ever sell them, they'll be asking a little bit a little bit more than that. So it wasn't just a list yeah, price. Yeah, exactly. I think the number through – yeah, I'm pretty sure through Lloyd's it's the – Seller's got to pay seven and a half percent. The buyer also pays seven and a half percent. So you're right, Bogue. So um, yeah, some big, big dollars there, and um, yeah, it's definitely spiking up all the prices. And then you had the shock at the auction. Shock at the auction was the the HSV one tonner. So for our American listeners, that is essentially a Ute car that has an open tray at the back, or or can essentially carry a ton. That's why it's called a tonner. Where you can you can load things on very easily. There's no sides to the tray, if that makes sense. So for for those that don't know what it is, Google it and have a look. And fitted with an LS1 live axle rear, very fun car, very light light on the ass end. So you can get yourself in a bit of trouble. But <laughs> definitely that one didn't do as well as you thought, right? No, especially being one of the concept cars. I mean, but just in general for it, that there was just no hype. I mean, all on the socials in our in our HSV group, everything like that, there was just no talk of, of this tonner, so which was very, very surprising. Um, yeah, because it only made 113000 I mean, that was a bargain of that auction. Like, it honestly was an absolute bargain. Yeah, I mean, I, I personally like the look of it with the polished uh, VX GDS wheels and everything. Very, very smart-looking looking rig. But, um, yeah, I was just gobsmacked that it only pulled that money. I was honestly thinking probably high 100s, even possibly low 200s for a collector out there that would want to sit that in the corner. So, um, yeah, big shock. And we often we often see that at um, 
at auctions when there's a big name car such as the W Romulu Ute, that there's usually a bargain in there somewhere because you know that the, the big cars are getting so much attention that that no one's really gone for those kind of solid cars that are a little bit cheaper. And, and we've seen that before. We saw that at the um, the auction we went to where uh, I bit on the HRT um, 427, right, where the, the what was a Sub- yeah. Subaru, right, wasn't it? The, the WRX that went that went relatively low because it was it – was- Yeah, the 22B, yeah. Because it was more of an HSV auction, that one. You know, it was more of an Australian muscle car auction and they had a few import-type cars that no one was really paying attention to. And um, you, see, you do tend to see – a chance to pick up bargains if you study the market and go to those auctions. It, it, it rarely happens these days, but they're, they're still, if you, if you know your stuff and you look hard enough, you can still find one every now and then. Yeah, I th- think you're right. I mean, um, yeah, Boomer and I had a bit of a chat about this that we, I guess you can you can take it two ways. It's either you can, um, let, let's just take, take, for, take, for example, the W427, very, very unique car, and then the W1 Malu in the auction. We kind of thought, do you let, the W1 Malu, get all the hype, build that up and everything, and then you put the W427 in a separate auction where it's going to create its own hype, or do you have it in the same auction whereas anyone who's going to bid on on the W1 Malu thinks, hey, well, that's out of my reach now. I might as well go for this W427. You know, So you might have someone who's going to go, yep, let's go grab that. That's the next best thing. Quite interesting around that, different tactics and things around to leverage off hype, but um. Yeah, some interesting times there just just in general. So, yeah. And then the market now, let's go through that real quick. So, the market now has been inflated just basically based on that auction, especially when you look at um, HSVs. You look at any HSV now on car sales and Gumtree and Facebook. Based off just this auction, based off the W1 Malu solely, we're seeing some, you know, people that are probably high on whatever the substance they took on the weekend, listing a car Monday morning and asking some absolute ridiculous prices. So you've got a, you've got a good list that we can have a bit of a giggle at. Yeah, definitely. So that uh, <laughs> this was the, um, look, I'll be honest, I was, I was chomping at the bit to see what was going to happen to the market after this. And um, yeah, some definitely uh, unique prices out there. Um, main one, Holden VF SSV Redline listed on car sales for 749000 So, don't know how you can really think the last ever Commodore to be made to be sold at 750000 makes you go, hmm, I'll list mine a thousand bucks cheaper and slap it on car sales. So, uh, I thought that that was quite amusing. The interesting market we're going to see is this HSV W1 market. So, we started to see it creep up. In the Um, sedans, yeah. Yeah, so we started to see that that creep up with, um, you know, it was kind of like every every time the W1 Malou lifted by 50 grand, uh, yeah, we're seeing W1s listed on car sales, you know, lifting up five grand. So, it was quite quite interesting there. But the cheapest W1 listed currently at the moment is 450,000. So, we're starting to see that bubble there and- yeah, some are listing them for 600 plus. I've even seen one listed at 700. Quite interesting to see what's going to happen to those. And main things to really watch is what they change hands at auctions. So we saw the son of a gun one um, go at 403. Well, it actually got passed in at 403. So definitely watch what uh, they're actually changing hands at auctions because that, that is really setting the tone of what those cars are worth. Another interesting one was a Holden CV8 Zeb Monaro. So, um, very, very low case. I think it was 400 by memory in Turismo Blue. That's currently listed for 185,000. So, guess what I'm really watching there as well is, um, what's, what's the flow and effect from the US market? So, if you're seeing we sent around about 40,000 of the Pontiac GDOs, which were our Holden Monaros over to the States. 
And I'm seeing over there at the moment they're listed between about fourteen and 20000 So I guess if we keep seeing the Monaros rise here, might start seeing people buying them from the States and bringing them back here and converting them back to right-hand drive and putting Monaro front and rear bumpers and that on it. So never know, but um, Bogues, were, were they quite popular when you were over there in the States? Nah, not really. There weren't. I, I had one, fun to drive and everything, but yeah, people didn't really know what they were. Um, it was more of an Australian thing with the Monaro name. They did a really good job marketing it here, but over there it was kind of, it lasted a year or two. A few people had them, but it wasn't wasn't really a big deal. The entry point was pretty cheap, brand new. I think they were fully loaded basically in the high 30s back then. Um, so, very, very cheap, okay. fun car, but- yeah, you make a valid point. I mean, shit, 185k here for Monaro. You basically can import one, probably get it landed for 25 to 30k, convert it another 20, 30k. So then you you've got 125k in your pocket and a similar car. <laughs> it's kind of ridiculous. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, I I saw one listed with uh, 3,700 miles on it for 19,300. So look at it like that. It's not not bad going if you can. Um, yeah, secure one over there. So yeah, and remember, remember back in the day we had the, the, a similar thing with the South African GTs um, from the set, from the sixties and seventies era. So there was a lot of yeah, you know, because the, the the Australian GTs were just very very expensive, and somehow we ended up with a bunch of people that were importing them from South Africa. A little bit different, small little nuances that were a little bit different, but that was a cheaper alternative that people were doing. So maybe we do see something similar. Yeah, exactly. So that's that's going to be an interesting thing to watch. So um, yeah, and I've seen as well that um, yeah, some of the Americans who do have these absolutely love our Coupe Fours, and a few have been buying the Coupe Fours and um, shipping them over there. So because they are a little little bit unique um, to them, so the whole all wheel drive thing, they just love it over there. So yeah, I do. I own one of those. I own one of those, and um, yeah, the Coupe Four. It's not a fast car, and it's not a powerful off the line car, but. The thing handles unbelievably and is 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 a fun car to take out in the hills. It's not a it's not a straight line car. It's not a car that you want to go to a racetrack with. Um, but when you go up in the twisties in the hills, it's actually some pretty good engineering in that car and 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 kind of historic. You know, some people hate it, but I think it's a historic car when you look at you know whatever what HSV has done and built over the years. Oh, 100%. And, and the way I said, that was our pinnacle point of engineering that we're doing here. So, you know, that, that's the thing, like, as I just said before, sending, you know, four, 40, it was like 40,700 and something, um, yeah, Pontiac GTOs over to America. And I think at the time then, we're just seeing, you know, amazing concept cars and that made. And then, yeah, the adventure and everything. And then seeing that running gear put into, um, into Monaro and calling it the Coupe 4 and things at the time absolutely blew my mind. So, yeah. Like Bogue said, not not the fastest thing, but man, what a car. What a car. And and that's what we need to appreciate for the time of what, what we were actually creating. Yeah, now it's gone. So, you know, we um we still have the luxury car tax though that's protecting our home market in Australia. It's a fucking head scratcher. Yeah. You know, yeah. Polys will never reverse the tax they put in, but for those that don't know, Australian government many years ago put a luxury car tax in on any import, so any basically any European car that's half decent. There's a massive tax. It's up to 30%, isn't it, sometimes? Yeah, correct. On those cars to, to protect. We had a local Ford maker that made our own Fords in Australia and, and, and a local Holden HSV 
was a kind of a modern version of Holden's um, that made cars here. So the government said, oh, we're going to put in a tax so people are influenced to buy Holden's and Fords. And then you fast forward five, 10 years later and back in 2015, 16, 17, all these companies went belly up and they're, they're basically closed. We don't make anything here on the ground that's Australian made. So funny and we still have that luxury car tax. So I haven't pulled that yet and I doubt, I doubt they will. <laughs> nah, definitely not. Yeah, I suppose it- what people were saying the next best, next best thing to this uh, W1 Malu was, was the GDSR Malu. So for the, uh, those who aren't familiar, so when we talk about the W1 Malu, so that had the LS9 in it, um, only four of them made, which made that quite unique. So then we've got the W1 sedan, so the HSV W1 sedan with the LS9 in it. And then the HSV GDSR Malu uh, is factory fitted um, with the LSA. So very, very fun being utility. So it's got the tub on the back and things for those in America. Small, nimble, everything, rear-wheel drive, LSA, a lot of fun. Um, and then step up again, that W1 with the LS9 is just phenomenal. 474 kilowatts, animal of a car behind a 6B manual. But um, let's talk about the flow-on effect from what this W1 Malu had to the GDSR Malus. Um, cheapest one listed we can find at the moment with 56,000 Ks on the clock in white is currently listed for 225,000. Most expensive is a Spitfire green one with delivery kilometers on it for 400,000. So that's making a median price for these at the moment of 310,000. So massive jump. I think we're talking about, I think if you kind of will go back to probably around about, um, Four or five months ago, yeah, you can find a GDSR Malou for 90,000. So I actually had a couple of mates um, buy them for around that. So with very very low kilometers on them. So what was the RRP from factory from from dealer? Uh, anywhere hover between. You can find some of the time for um, yeah high nineties if you really looked around, but majority of them were probably around about that 115,000. So yeah, massive jump. Yep. And on to, I thought while I'm looking at all this, I just wanted to see for the, those owners of just LSA GDSs, you know, one back the clock to 2015 when the Series 1s of those came out in the Gen F. Cheapest one around at the moment was actually mind-blowing. Auto with 112,000 kilometres on the clock listed for 98.5. So that's absolute madness. That is the cheapest LSA GDS listed at the moment. So if you think about it, I bought one at the time eight months old with 7,200 or something on the clock and um, I paid 67,000 for it. Yeah, it's cra- it's gone crazy. Like it's yeah. like we, we talk about all the time, the HSV market has just, we haven't really seen it flow on to FPV. It's starting to slowly, but just the HSV market's just on steroids at the moment and it, it doesn't look like, you know, we, we think at times maybe it's going to slow down or even come back down to earth, but geez, like it's it's just not, it's not looking realistic. It just keeps going up. Oh, it's, yeah. It, and and that's the thing. I mean, yeah, it's just every, every time we're just logging on and just thinking, oh, okay, so people are going to start correcting prices and things around. We're going to see that. I mean, we always talk about you can ask what you want, what's changing hands and things in the background. But the issue is that when you're seeing these kind of madness prices, it's this FOMO effect right now that, you know, you need to think about it that if you're seeing these GDSR Malus list getting listed for 400 plus and everything like that then one just pops on car sales for 250 someone's going to be thinking hey i've I've got to snap that up you know so that this is this is the set market now so um yeah crazy times yeah blowing my mind now let's have a look at this fpv market so last episode we did talk about 
you know, this being the, the next best thing. So I've personally bought a couple of FPVs and things, just seeing this flow on effect. Might as well snap up some, some low K examples. Um, and looking around, I found a BF Typhoon R spec listed um, for 60,000 with only 47,000 Ks in the clock. So um, in the list for it does have a compendium and things. Nice example, an Ego Grey. Um, so that that's kind of setting the tone for around at the moment. We're seeing that flow on effect from just generic typhoons. Um, anything under a hundred thousand Ks now it seems to be the price in general of about forty thousand. The R spec is a limited run, so there's only three hundred of those made, so that makes it that little bit extra special. So it does have a um, in the FPV twist wheels that they call, so it's a lighter grey on it instead of the darker grey compared to normal typhoon. Uh, different suspension and things in it and yeah the aspect badge in the back and some uh, custom floor mats made it a little bit different that's what fpv was trying to do at the time um, back in 2007 2008 back then to try and move as many cars they can so majority worse different sticker packs that they were doing with the gts next one i found was a bf typhoon so non-aspect 7883 kilometers on the clock so very very low k example uh 85,000 that one's listed for. Bogues' favourite that he's, you know, he's sniffing around trying to find, find one at the moment is the GTF. So I did have a look for, um, you know, a manual because in those you do kind of want a manual if you're going to be tucking one uh, away. So it's one listed for 172,500 with 21,000 Ks on the clock. So um, we've seen ma- those jump massively, haven't we, Bogues? Yeah, I mean, only probably two months ago you could get them in the low 100s, and then yeah, once again after that Lloyd's auction, it's all gone up. There is a there is another one that just got listed, but it is an auto, 140 thousand. They're asking, and it's only got 2,400 kilometers on it. So look, it is an auto, but that's that's one that maybe if, if you can lowball them a little bit and get a good price on it, you could park it. But as Justin said, yeah, with most of these cars, you generally want the manual just because they're muscle cars, and you want to try to drive them as much as you can. But that was that's probably the cheapest one bang for buck on the market. And then you've got a few that are low 100s with much higher kilometers. But um, yeah, they were the logical one to snap up probably three, four months ago. But yeah, now that now I think the FPV people are starting to realize like if HSVs of the similar era are going for three, four, five hundred K, we can bump ours up a little bit and that's followed the market too. Yeah, definitely. And um, and then looking around, that's, I just thought in general, like I'll, I'll search this and just try and find the cheapest GT with under 60,000 kilometers on the clock. And found a BA manual for 49,500. So, yeah, honestly, three, four months ago, you could actually find um, a GT like this for probably high high 20s to low 30s in a manual with um, those kind of kilometres. So, yep, definitely seeing a spike happening, but that is the next best thing kind of market to watch around that. But in future episodes, we'll, we'll diversify and um, talk about JDM, Euros, things like that. So what's this kind of next brewing market and what's happening at the moment? So it'll be some in- interesting topics and things coming up. And I will even probably look to get some experts on that know those markets better than Bogues and I. So, yeah, it is becoming its own little world. It's like like property now, these muscle cars. It's, it's crazy. Yeah, especially for people that don't follow muscle cars, they'd probably look at it like these guys are bananas, but it's its own little bubble and it's just like – women with handbags it's just like property it's just like anything there's a worth there once you know the numbers and 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 the rarity and the colors and the combinations and all that kind of stuff it, it boosts prices and that that moves us on to colors and build numbers so does a rare color mean more money does a does a build number mean more money and and we often see like like we saw you know zero zero one build numbers on cars 
generally fetch 50 to 100, 150K more. To me, I've never been a huge fan of build numbers. It doesn't really uh, tickle my fancy. I'd rather get a car that's, you know, let's say it's build number, whatever, a stupid high build number, 225, but it's got 10,000 Ks on the clock and it's mint. I'd rather have that than one that's got 40,000 Ks on it and 001, if that makes sense. I'd rather the, the nicer car out of them. I'm not worried about build numbers. Colors is another discussion. So, we know that there are certain cars that have a flagship color like the HSV VL Walkinshaw from back in the day was Panorama's Panorama Silver, and then they, they re-released that with the W427. So, there's a bit of an appeal there where it boosts that car just based on the, the paint it has on it. And then there's an emotional factor as well of people, you know, as a kid saying, that was I want that car in that color and it can boost it up. So, most models and most high-end muscle cars have a flagship color. XY, GTO Phase 3, Vermilion Fire, which was a, a ready orange, was kind of the it color. W427 was the Panorama Silver. What would you say the W1 is? You'd think the flagship would be the Spitfire? Yeah, I mean, yeah, 100% the Spitfire. So, I mean, personal friends of mine who snapped them up from the start that are collectors, yeah, went straight for the Spitfire. So, um, you know, and you see the reds and everything like that around. So, um, yeah, I've got a, another friend, Steve Fisher. He just collects reds and everything. That That's that's his thing. But, um, yeah, definitely the standout car at the time. You know, I set it from day dot as well to buy one. Spitfire all day long and still today if I want one, it's got to be Spitfire. Yeah, and and look with mo- most HSVs, generally your 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 whites are much easier to source because they're usually the ones that the the highest build numbers. Especially when you look at senators and stuff like that, a lot of them were were fleet cars at times for for the government. You know the the big senators with the you know all sprawled out for the, for our for our great people in government that are doing a fantastic job locking Victorian down at the moment. Um, but they they usually yeah. end up on the market after you know five six seven thousand k's on them or ten thousand k's. So you can generally find a lot of white. Um, even even in the GTSR W ones, white's probably the most common color. But you will pay a bit of a premium. Now the discussion goes: how much of a premium will you pay? So I'm not. I'm not one of those guys that'll pay a stupid premium for a color. Uh, even if I want it really bad, I'd, I'd always take probably the the color that I don't want as much if it's if it's significantly cheaper. So that's a discussion that you kind of need to figure out. But as far as people taxing on a hundred k for a color, I, I think that's insane. Yeah, and, and we are already um, seeing this with the WONs getting listed. So if you see whites and blacks, and you know they are listed cheaper than the people who do have the Spitfires or the Son of a Gun Grey and and everything. So it seems to be that. Those rarer colours, yeah, people were already tacking on money, um, trying to sway the people from the motion, and, and even the generic GDSR um, that's come out. Well, you can also get those in Spitfire. Same with the Maloo. We're seeing that massive variation. You might see a low-K GDSR Maloo listed for 300 then as soon as the Spitfire one hits the market, it's 100 grand more. So, um, yeah, they're definitely trying to sway that emotion because that is a wanted colour. Yeah, no doubt. And you have a you have an interesting story about some rarer colors, which we'll get into after we discuss the yellow W1s and give us a story behind them. A, a good friend of yours, a guy we both know, has, you know, he, he basically started the process of having um, some yellow W1s. Yeah, definitely. So, um, yeah, I'll put a video up on the Rogue Bogues uh, car chat uh, Facebook page of a amazing collection. And amongst those was a yellow or XU3 yellow, which is the original GDSR color. So the VS GDSR color. So they all came out at the time. So for those that don't know, Jeff Kennett decided at the time, let's make our taxis here yellow. There was a bunch of leftover Commodore, so VS Commodore shells in yellow. 
and um, they're often very, very cheap. So, um, yeah, HSV bought 75 of them and said, what can we do here? And they created the VS GDSR. Um, so it had a big wing on the back, same as our V8 supercar at the, at the time. Very, very unique, just from some carbon bits and pieces, opal black wheels and everything. Um, cool GDSR trim, but they were all in this color that they called, you know, instead of, you know, I guess XU3 yellow sounds a bit more appealing than uh, Victorian taxi yellow. <laughs> Fast forward to when the W1s were released, Boomer thought, I want one of these. I've got. VS GDSR build number one, I've got a modified GDSR number two. Wouldn't it look amazing to have a W1 sedan that he believes at the time and I believed and a lot of others, W1 should have been just made in this color or thought it would have been cool. He wanted a one-off done. So for him to get that, he's got a lot of pull at HSV and you can kind of to a point of get what you want from HSV if you're willing to pay the money. Um, but to get this done at the time, he did a deal to buy the W427 concept car and also the GDSR concept um, coupe that they did at the time uh, in a modified fusion color. Very, very cool car. Yeah, to sway across to do the deal there with some extra cash on top for this W1, secured him a W1, which is build number 17 in the XU3 yellow. Very, very cool. And an interesting one we would have seen in that video was he also secured a W1 Malu, so only four of them made, so he secured build number 001 also in the XU3 yellow. So paid a fair bit on overs uh, compared to what the other ones went for, but he got the deal done. So very, very cool pair. Shows that if you've got, got the money, you got the pool, and you've bought a lot of HSVs from them, yeah, you can get these things done. And that's how it goes. So, yeah, you, for people that will see, I didn't even know that color existed. What the hell is that? A lot of people sometimes even think that it was a custom color made by the customer afterwards. It's generally not the case. If you have purchased enough from HSV, FPV, these companies, and they know you on a first name basis, you spend a lot of money with them. Money talks. You can basically get, you know, you're going to pay another 50 or 100K at times to get the, the car out of the factory line and get a custom color done from HSV that's not on their, on their stock list at the time. But you can do anything you want at a factory. And, and I guess the positive of doing it at a factory is it's numbered by HSV as an original car from them and built by them or FPV or whoever it is. So then, you know, you're not doing it as a custom because for those that don't know, as soon as you customize any car, that's a matching numbers car, your value is going to plummet. So even if, even as far as losing the original wheels, you know, um, doing different things, putting a different body kit on or a spoiler, you're basically devaluing these cars immensely, especially, for example, a GTS RW1. If we talk about the sedans. Yeah, if you, definitely. Yeah, if you do something to that to mod it, you're, you're basically just lighting money on fire. So, you know, unfortunately, there's an argument that you with stock cars that are high-end muscle cars, even Mustangs and all that, there's aficionados out there that lose their shit when they see those cars modded, much like we would with these these high-end HSVs just because we know that their value is going to continue to skyrocket and you, you do one little quirky, mm. quirky thing to them and you, you're costing yourself money. Oh, exactly. And and that's the thing. At the time when these were done, we were getting people kicking up going, it's not fair, why didn't get offered to me? And, you know, I was at a HSV club meeting and I asked for a custom colour and they said no and everything. The extra that he had to pay to get this done and like I was saying before, you've got to be a unique customer like folks were saying before, it doesn't matter if it's Hermes handbags or being on a, on a wait list for Rolex and everything like that. If you're a value premium customer and you're paying a lot of money over the, over the time and they know you on a first name basis, you have that established relationship, yeah, you can get things um, 
yeah, you, you can get that extra special treatment. That's what it comes down to being a HSV VIP. Yeah, that's that's how we that's how we got it done. But um yeah, think about it. Extra money on top, buying also a couple of uh, concept cars off them. Start thinking about those dollars in your head and then then you then you can work out why why that happened. Yeah, exactly right. It's a lot of it's money and a lot of it is just just networking, like anything in life, right? It's networking, it's who you know and it's building those relationships. But you have a another W one was building a, a one off custom colour. So I don't think you, you can break it down too much, but give us a little info on that. Yeah, bombshell. So um, yeah, another W1 was made in a custom color. Um, can't get into that because um, yeah, it is a story. So stay tuned. Motor Magazine will be talking about it. Scott Newman from there, won't say great guy. He's all right, but he has paid me a substantial amount of hush money. Um, He's buying me a coffee or something like that. I, I don't know. But um, I am going to shut my mouth, but stay tuned. You will see a story come out about this. I have seen it in person. It looks absolutely amazing. So definitely look out for that. So if you think about it, out of the WMs made, XU3 yellow tagged as that. Then also this other one, also a tag color. Very, very cool. So stay tuned. You will see and hear about that soon. And there's a few other custom colors you know about yes historically, I, mean, I, I do remember the yeah the, the was it the ethica i think yeah I, I remember a few of them but um run us through a few other custom colors historically that hsv have done for clients yeah so um yeah and all, all the time of seeing all this that um yeah there have been a few that have um yeah left clayton and things at the time so like i was saying it comes down to valued uh, customers so there's one guy here um ceo of itp insurance he had some cool ones. So his first one was a VT GDS that was made in Hackett Gold before the SV99 came out. So very, very cool. Um, and there were two of these made. So he got one of them and um, Grand Hackett at the time also got a VT GDS that was made in this Hackett Gold. Awesome looking car and everything like that. But um, this kind of started all. So this guy pretty much owned every, every new HSV on the um, frequent buyers list and everything like that. So that's how we start talking about. Starts getting some pull, being a value customer, got that done. And when the E1 came out, he ordered a Senator. So he liked the luxury, the added bits and pieces, the better audio, the better seats and, and things that you get in the Senator. But he yeah got that Senator, made it look like a GDS and then got it painted um, Verd Ithica, which is a it's, it's, you know Lamborghini green, so really, really nice splice green-looking kind of colour. We went to the point, custom trimming it, so green, orange, and black interior, orange orange calipers. Even went to the point he had to order, I think it was something silly, like 500 or 1,000 centre caps to be printed in the same kind of colour green, so with the HSV emblem on it to kind of match and everything there. Went through Walkinshaw, got the supercharger kit, everything done. So this really, really cool looking car at the time. So very, very custom one-off in a green tag, everything done by HSV. So very, very cool. And then uh, when the W427 came out, he ordered one in the same color. So got that done. And um, another cool fact with this car, so we know that HSV was known for the red interior. This car also had a um, had a custom interior. I think, it was like, I think it was like a darker leather in it with the green stitching and everything to kind of match the Lamborghini green. Um, but very, very cool. So that was done. Unfortunately, that car did get written off. Yeah, I remember that. I remember the photos back in the day, yeah. Demolished. Yeah, very, very sad. Um, I think it was a tourist or something was driving a, you know, it was a Toyota Land Cruiser or something like that, hit the car and very, very sad. Um, yeah, because that was amazing. Um, might even uh, post up some pics of that actually, um, yeah, through our uh, Road Vogue social platforms uh, for those who 
who haven't seen it around, and I'll also take some snaps of that Senator slash GDS that was made because that, that was pretty cool. Fortunately, I don't have any pics of the um, of the Hackett Gold GDSs, but if anyone does, uh, flick us across an email. Yeah, so it's uh, roguesbogues.justin at gmail.com. I'd love to share those around if you do have any of those. I've only got those in the memory bank. So, um, yeah, very interesting. Yeah, it is. It is. And then I guess we'll move on now to selling cars. A, it is a great time to sell in general right now, which you would definitely not think the case with what's going on in the world with coronavirus, people being you know laid off work, people working from home, people taking fifty percent salary cuts. But <laughs> the market is is up, so it's it's kind of head scratching. I mean, what would you put that? Yeah. What would you put that down to? Just people with too much time on their hands. No, so I mean, yeah, well, that's thing. Yeah, we've got used car markets up by thirty two percent. So de- we did kind of break that down into the why is that, and um, had a few chats with some mates who you know are at BMW and things like that. And yeah, it's down to yeah people for working from home, not putting kilometers on cars, so not needing to upgrade. If you kind of have a look at a lot of fleet cars and everything like that, so I was chatting to uh, mate Phil King, who you hear a few, you know, hear me mention his name a few times, but um, yeah, he works at a panel shop and the same kind of thing there. So he um it's a lot of their core clients are fleet fleet customers and yeah not driving cars not having accidents all this kind of stuff so that coincide with the delay of production so we look at a lot of the european car makers and things like that that um yeah just slowing down working on skeleton staff and everything so the yeah the uh, order of these cars just getting pushed further and further out so it's um yeah quite interesting there creating that that demand so i guess um boredom and everything like that all, all happening for us wanting to buy all these muscle cars and pushing the price up from that side but unfortunately for the dealerships and everything there that um they're they're trying to get their hands on used cars that's um pushing up the prices so um yeah it's i've got a bmw x5 a 2021 and i can literally nearly sell that for more than what i paid for it a year ago so it's um you put it down to that Quite interesting. Yeah, even the dealers can't get access to, to brand new cars, you know, off the boats and off, off shipping just because the world yeah. the world's in disarray. So it's kind of hard. Now, there's, there's numerous form, forums to be, a, you know, to sell cars, and there's numerous forums to be a, a buyer. We have Facebook Marketplace, Gumtree Car Sales. Break those down for me. Yeah. So, um, look, I mean, I, I pretty much said if you're going to be selling a, a cheaper vehicle. Try and do it as cheap as possible. So you've got Facebook Marketplace, Gumtree for those kind of platforms. But if you have a more of a unique car, a more expensive car, I'm more of a fan of car sales because you can have specific searches for those. Um, yeah, so you kind of put those hand in hand. I mean, yeah, just be prepared. If you're going to be using Facebook Marketplace or Gumtree, you're going to be copying the messages left, right, and center. What's your cheapest price? What's your cheapest price? What's your cheapest price? Like straight away for that. So, or just straight up people going, you might have a car listed for say 15,000. You might have someone saying, Hey, I've got eight grand cash waiting now. You know, just copy messages like that. So it's going to be prepared for that, but free platforms throughout there compared to car sales. Whereas if you're going to be selling a more expensive car, looking probably north of about 300 bucks by the time you're putting privacy protects on it and everything like that. So, um, different ways about it, but, um, yeah, just, just keep, keep that in mind. Yeah, the privacy protect should be not a add-on. <laughs> it should be included in, on car sales as, you, yeah. as as you've dealt with, which will break down now for us. I mean, we've both sold cars on car sales and kind of the instant message service where they get access to your phone number at times is, is kind of a shit show because there needs to be some sort of protocol to kind of flag buyers, especially when you're selling a car for you know over over six six figures that you know some of these sellers oh. some of these sellers just don't want to deal with people that are just going to be tire kickers and. 
and just waste your time. And I mean, you've dealt with that firsthand and, and got some good stories. Exactly. I mean, that, um, you know, first and foremost, I think there's just going to be a layer of respect around it, you know, especially that, yeah, listing a car for, um, yeah, for north of 100,000. I mean, you shouldn't really be copying messages like, um, you know, let's say it's listed for 115,000, you know, will you take 85,000, all this kind of stuff. So, Starting to get to that point, it's um, quite annoying that there isn't a screening process through the instant messenger service. Um, but once again, I mean, you know, I hit people pretty hard when I buy cars and I understand that, but I think you've still got the low respect. Call, ask a bit about the car, any existing damage, all that kind of stuff, reason for selling, all those kind of things, and then fish it out. You know, be smart, listen to the tone of the voice if you start slipping in offers and things like that to see where you're going to try and get to. But this message service through car sales from, you know, an actual customer experience is a complete shit show. You shouldn't just be copying it like that. I mean, for having, you know, paying for a premium service, paying for privacy protection things in place, like Bogues are saying, screening process. If you've got a car listed for, say, 115000 should just be a simple question in that. should have a drop-down option, I think, if you are about to message. What do you want to know about the car, history, things like that? Bang, cheapest price, put it in there. What are you willing to offer for this car? Is it 80 to 90,000, 90 to 100,000, 100 to 110,000? You select like that. And if you put in there that it's going to be 80 to 90,000, I don't see that message. Yeah. So, because that's, that's a thing that shouldn't be dealing with that, clogging up the time, busy and everything, because you get to the point going, hey, I might as well go trade this car in. I can't be bothered dealing with this crap. And then car sales is instantly losing a lot of customers. So, yeah. Yeah, hopefully that's something that they look at. I mean, pet peeves of mine selling cars is getting that message that, you know, you've got it listed for whatever the price is and someone messages and says, what's your best price? <laughs> what's the fucking price I've got yeah. listed, mate? Like, that's my best price. Yeah. But if you want to make an offer, like, yeah, but I'm not going to I'm not gonna sit here and list it for 100 and be like, oh, yeah, my best price is 75. I'll knock 25K off you. I'll just negotiate against myself. So, they're just the perils of selling cars. But, yes, that, a pet peeve, I, I don't have time for those people. Um, I, I get real frustrated with the what would you take. I mean, maybe there's an element of they're a little bit intimidated. They're a little bit scared of, yeah. to, to lowball you. But, yeah, I just kind of don't have the time for that. And that's just one of the things you just got to gotta deal with. Oh, exactly right. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I had one message came through when I had a car list at 115,000. We take seventy five, and I just ripped into the guy. I honestly did. Just yeah, I, I cracked it because I thought that is a dead set insult. Like I mean, I, I'm all for going hard with you know trying to negotiate the best kind of deals and things like that. But just getting an offer of seventy five grand when you got a listed for one hundred and fifteen is a complete and utter insult. So things like that, I just think those layers of respect and things. If someone's selling. If you are going to go hard, I get it, understand it. But if you are keen on it and just not trying to fish out best prices and things around, have some respect, call, find out, ask a question about history and everything like that, hear the tone in the seller's voice, be smart about it and um, try and negotiate in a fair way because um, half time like that, you could be a little bit keen on that car. If that seller is copying messages like that nonstop, they might think, stuff this, can't be bothered, rip that car down, not going to sell it anymore. That one car, you had that feeling going, yeah, I actually wouldn't half mind that. You could lose that opportunity just from taking that, you know, what I call a bit of a smart-ass approach. Yeah, and I'm, not, I'm kind of the, the same. Like, I'm, you know, I don't need an emergency sell a lot of the cars that I have um, that I put up for sale. And yeah. if I get a guy that's just breaking my nuts, I, on principle, then won't even sell it for them if they come back to me and offer what I'm asking. Like I've done that a few times. Like I've dead set. I've, yeah, I've just said I'm not dealing with you. 
And they've actually came back and said, all right, mate, I'll give you what you want. And I said, nah, if you want it now, it's got 50K on it for you. Like, I just can't be bothered dealing with your shit. So, you can piss, especially there are a lot of collectors out there that are pretty kind of, you know, they get pretty sentimental about what they're selling, especially if it's a car that they've had for a long time and, and maybe the wife's making them sell it or- they need to pay out the mortgage and they don't really want to sell yeah. it and you start fucking with those people because I've, I've, ex- I've done that before and I've experienced that firsthand where you're almost insulting their feelings and then you, you, you're going to have no chance of getting it for a dollar less than, than what they're asking. So, you need to be careful with that as well and that's, that's just a part of the psychology of, like you said, knowing body language, knowing the tone of voice. The other thing that irks right. me, the other thing that really irks me is when you've got a high-end muscle car, all right, if it's a, a regular kind of just a BMW X5, there's millions of them on the market, you've got a high-end muscle car and they're, they're throwing you offers without even inspecting the car and I'm just like, mate, like come, yeah. and, come and see the car. Come and see this car that you're, gonna, you're offering six figures for and then you'll see why, why I won't take less. Exactly right. I mean, I had the same thing when I was selling a 215 HSV Senator. You know, I'm getting offers and things around with people going, oh, I can get this one cheaper and everything like that. There's another one on car sales. I'm like thinking, dickhead, you're just messaging me. The other one on car sales are 185, 185 and 215 for those who know, far different, 215, far superior being the stroker and everything like that. But putting, start putting them into the same category because they're just looking like for like, hey, yeah, it's a senator, things like that. I get it. This guy's, you know, they're looking at me like I'm the idiot because I'm asking 15, 20 grand more than a 185. Hey, well, I mean, it comes down to do your research and everything like that because that's the thing. You came out to look at it, wouldn't even give you a time of day. Yeah, exactly right. And just, it's just frustrating. That's a part of what you have to deal with. That's why people do throw their cars in auctions so they don't have to deal with it, that. And that's why people trade in and just take the hit straight away because they just can't be bothered for that extra five or 10K they're going to get privately. But, um, We'll go through a few few quick positives that we've experienced and a few negatives. We'll start with the negatives and finish on a, on a positive, but give us a few funny negative stories you've uh, encountered selling cars. Yeah, well, um, I was selling a, yeah, a BF Typhoon that I had 10-odd oh, years ago now. So, I, yeah, modified it, did all the APS phase three stuff and everything. On it. I think it was making like 400 real kilowatts. It was a genuine 10-second car. Very cool thing, but um, listed that on car sales and I was just copying the same kind of thing all the time. But had this one guy came out and he was like, um, oh, yeah, I'm looking, you know, I'm looking to buy this or I might be buying like an M5 and things at the time. And he's going, yeah, okay, um, yeah. Pretty cool, can go for a spin, take it for a spin and everything like that. And then he's like, oh, I'll think about it. Two days later, he goes, oh, look, I might bring a mate up. So, he goes, yeah, I want to take him for a spin and things, see what he thinks. So, I do that, take him for a spin and everything. And then I found out this same guy booked in his XR6 Turbo with the same place that did the mods to my car. And he was just, and he actually said to the guy at the workshop, oh, yeah, went for a spin in one of your customers' cars and everything like that. I shot my mate and just made sure that I'm going to the right shop and everything. So, wasn't interested in my car at all. It was just after joyrides because he was booked in for the same modification. So, I thought, great, fantastic. So, another similar one. Yeah, I had a Golf R. Once again, I'm silly with modifying cars. That's what I do. Yeah, bought a Mark uh, 7.5 Golf R. Hyper stuff, turbo swap and things and yeah, I only kept this car for probably six to nine months or something. It's what I do. Same thing, taking this guy for a ride and everything like that. He's said he's real keen, everything on it. But um, yeah, he's saying to buy this car, he has to sell his motorbike, sell his car, everything like that, borrow some money from his mum and all these kind of things. So yeah, thinking, not going to take this guy for a serious joyride and everything like that because he doesn't even have the money ready and everything. And he's telling me this when we're backing out that he doesn't even have the, have the money. <laughs> um, so I just roll my eyes going, man, 
So I basically putted the thing around the block and everything. He's like, can you push it? Can you push it? And everything like that. And I told him clear as day, oh, mate, I'm not going to risk my license taking Fragoro when you don't have money here ready to go. So, and um, that same Volkswagen had another guy actually. He came out to look at the car and everything like that. And um, then he tells me when he gets here that he's about to order one from Waverly Volkswagen that was two minutes from my house, but they had a black one there and he's like, do I buy this one? But then he liked the colour of my one. So, he wanted to come see mine in person and keep this in mind when he's called me up and he's like, yeah, really, really keen on your car. I was actually at the zoo with my family, rushed home. It was raining that morning, drove the car, rushed home, washed it, everything like that for this guy to turn up and then he effing tells me he just wanted to see what the colour looked like in person. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I just yeah, uh, uh, the fact that he was honest about it, you commend him for that. But at the same time, you're just like, man, yeah. so there's just some people out there that are absolute fucking idiots and they just ruin it for everyone else. And that's a, that's a prime example. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, man, it's the same as people that schedule inspections and they don't show up or people that say, oh, I'll come Saturday morning at 10. And then like you said, you know, you get your car ready, you get it cleaned, you get it out of the garage, take it for a quick spin, whatever. And then it's 10.15, oh, it's 10.30, it's 11 o'clock, and then at 12, you, you, you call them and message them, oh, sorry, mate, I couldn't make it. And you're like, fuck me, man. Like, <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's just something you got to deal with, I guess. I mean, I, yeah, actually, when I was selling your VKSS, so I was out and about one morning, and you're like messaging me going, oh, you know, Steve can't get down there. Can you show him this car and everything? And then I've gone, yeah, rushed over, yeah, meet your old man get in there to show this car and everything. And then the guy goes, oh, I've worked out you guys are really, really far away. I'm out in Roxburgh Park and you guys are out in Dandenong. Can you meet me halfway? Yeah. And I'm thinking, what the fuck, man? You want to come have a look at this car? You're keen on You want me to meet you halfway? <laughs> yeah. It's, it, yeah. People have balls, man. Like people people, people will try it on you and then even if you go, yeah. meet him, you go meet him halfway and then probably won't show up nine times out of ten as well. <laughs> You're just sitting there waiting, holding the bag. Oh, but I think that as well. Yeah, what's someone going to be like from their negotiations if they don't want to spend the petrol money or the time to go on and in- inspect a car properly what they want you to meet halfway? Shit, like, come on. We've both, we've both flown in interstate to inspect cars personally at times. Like my, my old man went down to Tasman- oh, yeah. Tasmania to look at a, a, a I think it was XY GTO. Didn't end up buying yep. it, but flew down to Tasmania for the day. Like it's you got if if you want to buy a nice car, you got to make the effort. And then I think the buyers appreciate that, you know, especially if they're in a rural area. That if you're going to come out and make that effort, you're probably not going to tie kick as much. But if you're five minutes away, like your mate with the, the come come and inspected the the, the V Dub, I mean, yeah, then you got that risk of yeah. just just guys doing stupid shit. But um, oh, that's true. Give us give us a few positive experiences. I, I just had one. My sister. My sister and brother-in-law, he listed his BMW M40i X3 and was sold. He told me within an hour, he had the asking price um, accounted for and basically took the took the offer, got the deposit, painless experience for him. And then he said with within the next 40, 24 to 48 hours, he was getting offers above what he listed it for because he yeah, said- Yeah, price. Yeah, he said people were calling and saying, if you still got the car, he goes, oh, I, just, I just sold it. And they said, oh, what'd you get? List price. He goes, I'll give you a couple grand more. And he's like, oh- yeah, you know, I can't do that. I, I shook hands and agreed to a deal. Um, but yeah, that that was a real good experience for him. And you've got a few similar. Yeah, I had um, yeah, I had one similar to I had a Subaru STI that I listed. Um, yeah, I chucked it up. Got a phone call within four minutes of that ad going live, and a guy straight away going, "I'll take it." Didn't negotiate nothing. Came down from Sydney with cash and bang, car gone. I was absolutely gobsmacked. So, but I, I had the same thing that I thought after, man, I should have list, listed this thing for more because I was getting the same thing, getting 
phone calls, hey, if he doesn't sell it, you know, if, it, if he doesn't buy it, I'll give you another five grand on top and everything was just absolutely crazy. But uh, an interesting one, I mean, this is kind of, yeah, I mean, the guy was all right, but it was a weird experience for me. One, I had a Territory Turbo gear, taking a guy on a test drive once, and then he decides halfway through the test drive to pull into McDonald's and because he's like, oh, bro, I'm so so tired and hungry and like from work. I oh, fucking got to eat, bro. I got to eat. And he pulls in and he starts, yeah, he's ordering food. Doesn't even offer me anything. Keep in mind there. But he just orders his Big Mac and fries and everything and starts shoving his mouth full of French fries and everything, doing on the middle of his test drive. And then, yeah, eating his food, looking around the car and goes, all right, bro, I'll get in contact with you. Never heard with the guy again. <laughs> yeah, never heard from him. So Just needed, needed a ride maybe. Yeah, who in the right mind goes as a test drive and pulls in and orders food? So, yeah, weird. Very, very weird. <laughs> and then the, the, other, the other fun part of selling as well is is getting the swap offers. So, for anyone out there listing a car, if you just want to sell it for money, which most people do, make sure you put no swaps because I've accidentally listed cars before without putting no swaps and I've had offers for fucking boats and jet skis and caravans and dirt bikes and all kinds of shit and it just, uh, it's a little bit annoying, but they, they try it on you. You know, I'll give you a caravan in cash. It's like, mate, I'm selling a car. I'm 25 years old. <laughs> I don't need a fucking caravan. Like maybe when I'm 60, get back yeah. to me when I want to go around Australia with the missus one day. But yeah, I don't need a caravan. So yeah. that's, that's, that's the hilarious part of selling cars, but it is, it is a unique experience. I think it does kind of help you for the real world with other other aspects of life, you know, even just managing your own investments and negotiating things. I think you learn a lot from selling and buying cars that relate to the real world. So, it's not a bad thing dealing with these kind of people because you get them in all walks of life. Oh, definitely. So, but I must say since, um, yeah, I guess people making a bit of money through COVID and things like that, probably drawing on super, whatever people are doing, but the swap thing seems to be dwindling a bit now. So, everything around is just- yeah, low ball offers everywhere. So um interesting interesting times. Um people being a bit cashed up, but we'll see what happens when uh job keepers officially turned off in March. Yeah, not gonna look good, I don't think. But um we'll follow that closely, we'll follow auctions and, and sales. Mm. We'll agree to disagree on a s- new segment for us, modding Euro luxury. So what I mean by your luxury, your your M fives, BMW M five, BMW, you know, Eight Series M's, all that kind of stuff, um, the AMGs. I'm against modding those kind of cars. I'll give you my reason, and then Justin can talk about his mods because he he's pro modding oh, those cars. Don't know what you're talking about. Don't know why you want to mod a Euro car. Yep, um, I'm, I'm kind of against it. I've got a good story to back it, which I'll tell in a second. But what I mean by modding is is you know putting on bigger bigger wheels, tubbing the back, you know putting different body kits on, you know wraps, all that kind of stuff. Because my belief is with the high-end BMW stuff, if you just bought a, a 5 Series, a little bit different. But if you're buying an M5, these cars are engineered at a factory to be the bee's knees, essentially handling, performance, braking, everything's kind of, you know, the technology's put forward to make that thing an unbelievable ride, right? Yeah. I mean, maybe maybe I'd, I'd be okay with a tune, you know, just give it a bit of a tune, a bit, get a bit more horsepower out of it, a bit more torque, whatever. But yeah, I just struggle when I see people just bastardize cars. You don't, you don't really bastardize them. You're more of a, a, a subtle modder. But the, the example that I had was a teammate of mine, actually, from many years ago, Charlie Villanueva had a, um, I think it was an S63. He had a, a high-end AMG, and I had a Porsche uh, Cayenne Turbo, and we're pulling out of the practice facility, about to get on the highway, and we're at the lights, and, and um, you know, we're both on the line. We'll give it a bit of a squirt from the line, obviously, up to the speed limit, kids. We don't go past the speed limit, but we, we give it a bit of a fang off the line. 
And um, it was 65 on the highway, on the freeway. And so we fang it off the line. I get to about 65, 70, just over. And and then he's he's way behind me. And I'm like, what the hell's going on? And so I just take <laughs> off, go home, come back the next day. I see I see Charlie. I said, man, what the hell happened? Like, he goes, oh, my car can't go. I can't really go over about 55 miles an hour. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> he goes, oh, yeah, because, you know, my, I've got those low-profile rims. I don't know what he put on at 22s. He had it tubbed. And he said, "Oh man, like once I once I start hitting close to sixty or above, like I've just got you know, it's just vibrating and drifting and just it's just <laughs> it's just not you know it's loud and it's just not doesn't feel right." I'm like, "Jesus, man! Yeah. You bought one of the nicest, most perfectly engineered cars in the world, a high end muscle car, Mercedes, and you can't go over fifty five miles an hour." So ever since then, I always had a thing where I'm like, these cars are are built to go and they're built to drive nice, and I just yeah. never never really modded them. But um, you're a fan of of the subtle mods, and you have a uh, an, I do an M5 that's modded. Yeah, look, I mean, I, I can't really help it. I mean, that um, yeah, it's just got to sit right, nice set of wheels, everything like that. And it's one of those things. I mean, that um, yeah, before this car now, I had an M3. Same type of thing, lowered it, carbon bits and pieces. Yeah, did some other mods, downpipes, tune, things like that, but it was in that nice Yas Marina blue, put some signature monoblock wheels on it. So we're not talking going to local wheel shop and buying some cheap wheels. We're talking north of 10 grand for wheels and tyres. And that, that made that one look really good. And that's the thing, yeah, I've got the M550i now. Done the same thing, uh, lowered it. I put some H&R springs in, which are a little bit too low because you can't actually get the height adjustable springs, like the KW ones I could put in my M3. I did that, ordered some signature wheels as well. So, yeah, north of 10 grand wheels and tyres on it looks fantastic, but have gone a little bit too far. So, with some 295s on the rear. So, put it this way, if I've got a full tank and the kids sitting in the back, we'll slightly rub on some harsh bumps and things around. You've essentially got a two-door coupe because <laughs> you can't use the back seats. <laughs> Pretty much. So I've got to explore, probably putting some two eight fives on the back. So we're early, early stages of it. Cars only only new. So got to play around and get that thing right. But um actually the interesting thing, the wheels on it are very, very hard to clean. So I am toying up bogues. Do I A put the standard wheels back on it for winter? Because you know Melbourne does rain a lot, or B buy another daily driver for winter. So, um, I know Boomer's probably listening saying, C, sell him the car since he lives in Toowoomba and it hardly ever rains. Um, he's wanting that car off me bad. But, um, yeah, <laughs> I have made a daily quite undrivable. Yeah. No, it's, it looks fantastic though. I saw it the other day when I was down there and it definitely looks really good and that's kind of that debate you have, right? Perf- how much do you yeah. affect the performance of that car for – you know, how well do you want it to look that appeals to you? And that's kind of half the battle with, with cars. And the older I get, yeah, I, I, I kind of slight towards performance more than looks. Um, whereas when I was younger, yeah. it was it was all about looks and it could have could have driven like shit. But as long as I look good in it, I was kind of feeling good about myself. Whereas now I want to be comfortable. I want to feel the car. I want to be able to handle it in corners. Um, so I guess that just goes when you become an old bastard and you start getting up there. Yeah, you probably see that. I suppose, I suppose playing in the NBA, a lot of rookies coming on the scene. I mean, over in the States, they do have some different tastes to us with these donk rides, you know, see it just ludicrous, you know, the old Impalas and things like that with 24 to 26 inch wheels on it and some custom low riders or going full bling on things or full murdering out, buying Rolls Royce, you know, Phantom or something like that and just matte black wrap and blacking out everything. But, um, Okay, so have you got a standout teammate or something you play with that just went 
absolutely bananas on on a car and you're kind of just scratching your head going what the hell did you do you've ruined it or well the charlie v, like that? that story i just told charlie v was was big on on kind of the blingy kind of big rims and and not he wasn't he didn't really care about the drivability of those cars it was more the state yeah. the statement of me having a 63 or, or whatever i've got i think he had a um a cadillac escalade with the, the utility version of it all blinked yeah. out kind of massive chrome rim so i mean everyone has different tastes but over there i think especially in the nba it was more way more slighter towards the way it looked and how much it stood out rather than actually driving yeah. the car for what it is so th- there's a lot of guys and then just i mean in the nba in general guys always want the newest thing so guys will buy you know the, the most high-end version of, of a particular model they want whether it's m5 or whether it's whatever and and then yeah and then get sick of it six months later and then someone like us who kind of crunch numbers will end up picking that car up for pennies on the dollar compared to what they paid and enjoy it much more so you know the secondhand market in the states is a great place to be if you're following these nba guys around or, or just professional athletes in general because they always want the new thing so every every yeah, every, every uh every preseason the parking lot in, in at an NBA practice facility was f- bonkers. Like it was, you know, you, you walk in there and, and professional athletes are competitive bastards, and that that follows yeah. off the court. House, I want a nicer house than my teammate. Car, you know, he got the he got the five series. I'm gonna get the M5, and that, and that's just the competitiveness of it. So at times you just walk in that car park, and there'd be five to ten million dollars worth of cars sitting sitting in a, in a parking lot, and you're just like, holy shit, this is yeah. this is just absolutely nuts. And you'd see some th- some different things. GT3 Porsches, yeah. you know, Steph had one of those. You got a brand new one that was unbelievable, black and orange, orange rims, almost looked like a rally car, but it was phenomenal. And um, yeah, crazy. Yeah, just just unbelievable experience to be able to see some of those cars up close on a, on a daily basis. Yeah, I've seen um, well, that's thing. I've seen a few videos and all that type of stuff, especially the Warriors with some of the players pulling up, like Draymond Green, you know, driving at I eight and some things like that. I mean, I guess San Francisco and like being a green city. Um, what what did you drive, folks? <laughs> Set me up. I had a F one fifty Raptor for the most part. I actually had when I first. Oh, okay, yeah, it's yeah. interesting. Green city. <laughs> it was the E version, the battery version, the one that takes a lot of petrol. <laughs> When I oh, first okay. got there, I had the Porsche Panamera Turbo. Um, that was a fantastic yeah. car. I highly regret. I actually got out of that into a BMW M5, and I regretted that because the Panamera was oh, yeah. just a sensational car, all-wheel drive. I had ceramic, yeah, I I, I had that. ceramic brakes on it in Milwaukee, so in the snow, the ceramics would stop on a dime. It was just a very well-engineered car. Um, would never get one in Australia because over here they're almost half a million dollars once you get your build sheet um, to a dealer. And over there, I yeah. think I, I got it out of the door. I leased it for, for three years, but I got it out of the door at RRP of like 175 So, our prices okay. here are just nuts. And then I got back from an off-season in Australia, jumped in the M5 and hit a curb in this kind of strange area, downtown Lafayette in California. Now, there's a, a strange curb that kind of comes out and I just I cracked it, punctured both the- the tires on that side was pissed because I was like, fuck, this is annoying. So then literally got the tires fixed and drove straight to a Ford dealership and jumped in a F-150 Raptor and said, I want to trade that car in. And the, yep. the dealer almost shit himself because he's like, you mean the BMW M5? I'm like, yeah, I want to trade that in for this. <laughs> and he's like <laughs> calling wow. his manager and they're panicking because no one's driving into a Ford dealership with a fucking high-end Euro luxury car to trade in for a Ford. So, they didn't know what the fuck to do. They're like, well, how do we do this? Do we give you cash back? And thankfully, I'd lease the BMW. So, all they had to do was 
just basically signed the lease off to them, um, and they took over the, the lease yeah. the lease payments, and then um, I, I basically got in, a, in an F one fifty, and I love that car, man. To this day, like that was that was it's not a it's not a powerful car or anything like that, but just for a big guy like me, two kids in the back, tray in the back, a lot of room, big and bulky. I loved it. Um, a lot of people in California didn't, but um, there's not many things they like over there. That, that if, as soon as you fit outside the grain of what they like, they'll, they'll complain. But it was it was fun driving next to all the Priuses. I can tell you that. <laughs> definitely, God. But on the on the topic around of some yeah weird cars and things like that at the moment, did you have you seen that um, Rolls Royce that um, the Justin Bieber did with West Coast Customs? Yeah, I don't know what the what the hell. I, I wouldn't drive that if you gave it to me. I mean, look, I don't get it. I mean, from knowing you really well that you kind of don't want to stand out and blend in, even though driving an F-150 wrapped around California is a bit different. But, um, yeah, in not wanting to really stand out and everything like that around there, and then he goes and makes you so – it was like – I mean, I don't know if you guys have seen the um, – the I think they called it a Vision 100 concept car they're doing, and, like, Rolls-Royce did this one, the 103 EX, and BMW did one with, like, its full covered wheels and everything like that. So – Justin Bieber got Rolls Royce, take it to West Coast Customs, and got them to make the kind of that of that Vision One Hundred concept car style. So it's a, in my eyes a hideous looking thing. Don't know why you do that, um, but yeah, I just thought that was just damn weird. I mean, that's yeah, too much, too much money. I just kind of look at that way of just blowing on something that. Oh, but being with his name behind it, he might make money on the thing. Oh, I don't know, but I just thought that was damn weird to just. A Rolls is already a rare car, so you're already standing out. But I guess yeah. good old Beeb just has too much money and wants to stand out even more by making it a legit one of one. Yeah. But it, yeah, I mean, the taste of that. Everyone everyone has their own taste, which I, I can't argue with. But I wouldn't get in it. I wouldn't even drive it. If I got yeah. it, I'd sell it straight away and get something else. But um, <laughs> Exactly right. Weird. Let's finish with what, what's coming up at auctions. We have a few auctions coming up in the next couple of weeks, month. I think Shannon's is having one um, right in the yep. uh, right before. What is it? An autumn one, and, and there's a few other ones. So, what, what, what have we got out there? Yeah, well, the I guess the standout car that's kind of circulating around the moment is the Jungle Green W1 concept. Uh, so, it's a pilot car E002. Interesting one there with these pilot cars. I mean, they are, they were offered quite cheap. I could have actually bought this exact car for one hundred and thirty thousand at the time. Got offered to me from um, yeah from the guys at HSV. There've been a couple other ones. There's a couple other white concept. I um, mean, sorry, white pilot cars that have um, yeah sold for low two hundreds and things. And you know, this being jungle green, it was one that had all the camouflage bits and pieces all over it that we saw in all the teasing videos of the W one coming out. Um, there were, look, there was some talks that it was going to hit around that half a million dollar mark, but I've uh, seen a few articles getting published, people saying this could possibly be another million dollar car. So kind of see it, you know, being thrashed for an inch of its life and everything like that, but that does also add that flavour and history to it. Um, yeah, it's just kind of weird that we could see this because they're all saying, once again, onto colours, it's a one-off, only only W1 made in jungle green. Interesting. I personally don't see it hitting a million. I think it would be weird and you kind of have rocks in your head paying that for a pilot car, but who knows? Um, a lot of money gets splashed around, pulled super funds, bits and pieces, how people are buying cars, but... Yeah, guess that it probably wouldn't even be a shock. You just shrug your shoulders and move on with life if yeah. you see another HSV hit exactly. It's, uh, that's, it's starting to get normalised, which isn't a good thing. And then there was a is the Walkinshaw. There's mm. a Walkinshaw barn find. That's a graze as well, right? Ah, uh, the barn find. Yeah. Oh, look, uh, barn finds is one thing I kind of scratch my head about. I 
I like things all nice, shiny and clean, everything like that, and I kind of see a barn fine and think, oh, all the hoses, everything like that, not just about the body itself, but that's a full ground-up resto. But there are collectors that just collect barn finds. They get off on it. They love the look and knowing that that's the story. You know, I guess I've had people at car shows and things tell me off for for just touching up a stone chip. You get those purists going, that tells the story behind the car. You know, it's like watch collectors with Rolexes and things that talk about the history of the scratches on the watches. This is kind of heading towards cars now that, um, yeah, don't get it, but the whole appeal of a car that's been sitting there and with rats inside it and things for 20-plus years, don't get it, but... Yeah, we well, got to basically that's like you coming said, up, and that's going to be interesting. It's a full resto, basically. <laughs> like you, you got the body there, and yeah, I know from experience, and, and we know from my collection that the worst thing a car can do is sit. Even cars that I've I've got my collection that sit for three or four months and don't get a good driving to, yep. I jump in them, and something goes wrong. Guaranteed, something's going to go wrong. Yep. There's a hose that's there's a hose clip that, that snaps. The hose is cracking. There's a leak. Who knows? Whatever, right? And and. You see these barn finds. I just don't. I don't understand the mystique. I think it started back in the day where there was a few deceased estates that you know old fellas and, and people out there had had cars locked up in a basement or a barn that no one knew about, and then they find those like, wow, there's this whole collection. I remember there was one in Argent- yeah. Argentina. You remember that one about ten years ago? I think it was, and there was like a random yeah. barn that had basically all all the high end. Porsche, Ferraris, Lambos, whatever. But I think the flip side of this now is you got people that are pulling the wool over people's eyes with barn finds and getting getting a, a genuine car and then putting dust all over it and making it look like shit. And there's yeah. been there's been cases of people doing that. Um, that's been documented where yeah. someone was like, "Hang yeah, on a second, I, I sold that car two years ago. That's not a barn find. Yeah, that's my, that's my old car." And like people have put it in a barn and then created all this media hype and PR around it and got big money for it. And it just goes to show that you got to do your research. It's the same as People, you know, forging tags for the old GTO phase threes and phase twos and whatnot. And you really, unfortunately, got to do your research with those high-end cars because there will be people that, that, that figure out ways to hype it up publicly, get PR, get marketing hype around it. So, yeah, we, we definitely stress anything in auction. 100%. Try to fly out mm. there, especially if you're paying, you know, six digits or above. Fly out there before the auction starts, whether it's two or three weeks. Most auction houses allow you to view the car. Begrudgingly, sometimes they don't they don't love it, but they allow you to get at least underneath it and have a look. I strongly suggest people do yeah. that. Um, from a guy that's been had, as I spoke about in episode one, buyer auctions, I've been shafted with some cars once we got them on the hoist and whatnot. So yeah. fly out and inspect them, ask all the questions, check all the documentation, like like we've spoken about, whether it's a HDT or a Ford GT. You can usually call yeah. spare parts stores, or you can call people at Ford or. Um, HDT or jump on forums and actually verify the numbers of, of the cars. Is that, is that number, you know, sometimes you'll, you'll, you'll buy a, a car with a certain build number and it's the wrong color. So that's, that's a red flag already because you're like, hang on a second. This is, this build number was this. And then if you ask the owner or the auction house a question, they don't know much about it. Red flag, right? Um, same as build numbers with en- en- engine numbers as well, all that shit. Yeah, definitely. And, and I mean, one thing you got to keep in mind, I mean, I've sold cars through auctions. They get me to write the story behind the car, everything cool like that. So the thing that they're, they're taking that for word. So yeah, they're they're experts. I see cars coming through, but when you've got these guys looking at cars, they're looking at over hundreds and hundreds of cars at the time. So they're not looking at that with buyers' eyes. So like Bergs are saying, make an effort, go out there, or if you don't know, get an expert out there to have a look at it because. That, that's the thing. They're doing a job. They've got to move that car for the most money possible. Don't just think about it because of going through an auction house that they're in the house. They're looking at it. Yes, they are experts. Yes, they know their field, but that's the thing. It's another one across the auction lot. 
So, yeah, definitely go out there and look at it yourself um, because I've seen too many of these cars that, yeah, you're getting people bidding on them from remote destinations to where that auction is happening, haven't even seen it, and I've known cars that have sold that where people have not even viewed it at all. So definitely um, make an effort. Yeah, and then if there's any issue, the auction house is washing their hands of it. That's that's the other problem. There was a yeah. day, you know, back in 10, 15 years ago, some of these auction houses, especially like a Barrett-Jackson or whatnot, they had prestigious names where they actually did not want shit coming through their, their auction lots. Whereas now, yep. most auction houses are like, whatever we can get, we get through, we make a quick commission, we don't really care about the end result. And that's kind of a disappointing experience for the buyer and you can really, really get a bitter experience from it. So, they have no yep. incentive to, they don't want to lie to you, but at the same time, if you get shafted, you've signed an agreement with your auction auction agreement when you purchase yeah. the car, same as the seller and the buyer. And I've been through that. I, I went through that in Australia with a, a car bought through Shannon's once um, where the car was basically puttied back together under the chassis, which we couldn't see at the time. Yeah. As a Mustang, dad drove it home. We picked it up. The thing was pulling. He knew straight away something was wrong with it. We dug deeper, found out it was yeah. ba- it was basically T-boned and a, and a shitty repair. And we went to Shannon's and we're like, what the fuck? This has a RACC inspection on it. It has all the ticks. Everything's approved. They said, well, yeah, it passed yeah. and they washed their hands of it, which, you know, whether that's right or wrong, who knows? And then um, we ended up having to go to court for the seller because he knowingly put that car in auction knowing it was T-boned and it wasn't disclosed. And after a year of storing the car and just having it sit there, storage costs, lawyer costs, we ended up coming to a settlement and I, I, I won the case, got a settlement before it was going to court. But, you know, if that's an average punter that saves up 60, 70, 80K for mm. his dream car, takes some money out of retirement and has that experience, it's it's a pretty – distraught feeling to be in that position where he probably doesn't have the money to, to get a lawyer and go and try to get his money back. Oh, ex- exactly. Yeah, I think it's always buy, buy beware. doesn't matter what, what it is out there, but um, yeah, always uh, don't don't trust um, someone else's opinion. Um, yeah, regardless, yeah, get experts' opinion, pay for it, everything like that and cover yourself. Yeah, and a lot of times it is pay for that. Maybe pay three, four hundred dollars for that inspection, whereas you know your RACV check might be one hundred and ten dollars, and you're a member, but you're not going to you're not going to yep. get an inspection. So sometimes it, it hurts to pay that extra money, but when you're spending thousands of dollars, it makes sense. But um, we'll finish on Q and A's. We're going to put together a segment, uh, a call for Q and A's down the track. So stay in tune for that. We'll post that on our social media. Um, platforms where we can get some questions from the yeah. listeners whatever you want to ask car related and justin and i will do our best to answer and we will anticipate getting some guests on down the track as well experts in different fields just to mix it up a little bit but rogue bogues on all the forums is the main channel so facebook twitter youtube we're on all podcast platforms and then that specific page for the car chat is the rogue bogues car chat page on facebook which justin um, runs very well and posts a lot of good content and videos and and behind the scenes um photos and videos of, of of numerous people's collections so that's a fun one to look at but we appreciate everyone tuning in this is episode two signing off thanks justin thank you all right good one see you next time